everyone. Welcome to Zonan Canada. I'm your host, Jesse Betteridge, and we have a very special voice actor guest on uh, this time around. Uh, it's Matthew Erickson. Uh, Matthew, thanks a lot for coming on the show. I appreciate it a lot. Hey, Jesse, no problem. Uh, he's the voice of Shinasuka from Gundam Seed Destiny. Uh, he was also Amuro Ray in the Blue Waters dub of uh, Zeta Gundam. Uh, he was also, you were Trunks in the Blue Water yeah, uh, G, uh, Dragon, Dragon Ball, Ball GT. GT. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. You were also a Nobu on, uh, on Nana. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's movie. right. Yeah. yeah, Matthew, you're from a particular breed of, of voice actor uh, that we've been seeing a lot more of over the last probably decade now, and that you, you are an anime fan in addition to a person who does voices in anime. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, so were, you, were, I guess... you, were you into anime before you sort of started down the, the voice acting path, or is it something that grew as you worked more on those projects? Oh, it's, it's kind of interesting because I started off in um, – out in Alberta at Chinook Animation. And so, yeah, I, I loved anime when I was, uh, in high school. I was watching, uh, DBZ and all of those, um, in, in the original Japanese. Uh, but. On the, uh, you, then, so you, you were getting the tape subs back then? <laughs> yeah, seriously, yeah, I was watching yeah. them on VHS. Wow. Um, and then, uh, then I, I saw they were holding these auditions. I was in theater school. I, I auditioned, uh, got a, a job doing, I think my first anime was, um, Ayashi no Seris. Yeah. And yeah. The, the old Viz, uh, dub of that one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's right. And so I, uh, went and did a string of, uh, work with, with them out there, did Zoids and, uh, Banner of the Stars and Crest of the Stars. And, and I remember when, when I found out that they were doing, um, Dragon Ball GT, even, even at that point, I kind of knew that Dragon Ball GT was, um, the, uh, trying to think of a PC way of putting it, the uh, the, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. I knew that. The ass end that, of the series. <laughs> exactly. But yeah. at the same time, I, I really wanted, I mean, I just wanted oh, to yeah. be involved in Dragon Ball at any, any cost. And so I, I went in there and I was like, look, I, I love this series. I just, I want to do this. And, uh, yeah, it turned out I, I got, uh, trunks and that. And uh, that, that was all pretty fun. Yeah. And when I was, when I was working there, the guys there and in the studio, like the, um, the directors and, uh, um, Brad and Cam, the, the, uh, engineers, they were all into anime too. And so they gave me a good long list. Um, I, I'd watched pretty tame stuff when I was, when I was younger, probably, uh, uh, DBZ was probably the, the most intense anime that I'd seen. And mm-hmm. boy, they, they opened my eyes to like Akira and, and Ghost in the Shell and all of those other ones. And I was like, wow, this is, this is an amazing genre that, um, really, I, I, I hadn't really been exposed to otherwise. So it, it was a, a little bit of both fan before. Bigger fan during. Before you started doing those anime roles, were you, did, like, was that sort of your first foray into acting, or had you dabbled in it with, with other things before that? Um, yeah, actually, I, I was in the process of getting my, um, sort of an applied degree in acting at the time. So, I was a, a theater actor, and, um, yeah, that, I, I saw the audition posting through, I think it was through the, the theater school that I was at. So that was it. I I hadn't done any voice acting before, but yeah, I was a theater actor. And they, I guess that the 
the Chinook Studios or Blue Water Studios or we're, I, I'm not sure how how it's organized. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 Chinook, it's sort of a, Chinook is Blue Water. Yeah. yeah, they often go by a number of names. Um, so I guess they were just reaching out to theater students uh, to for their for their casting at that time. Uh, it wasn't. I don't think it was particularly for theater students. I think there was a lot of. Um, Boy, I, I remember like Dave Pettit, who is a professional radio personality. There were n- a number of different uh, people who were involved at at Blue Water through Chinook there that came from from all walks of life. But um, yeah, there was a lot of uh, professional theater actors that that were there too. Your first really big role was Trunks on Dragon Ball GT. Uh, what was your experience like? working on that series or what, how did things go down at the studios when, when, uh, when that show was being worked on? Oh man, that was, uh, that was super exciting for me. I, I loved that. Uh, I, while I was doing that, I was also doing the, the lead in, in Zoid's chaotic century too. And I, you know, I was, I was kind of on top of the world when, when that was all going on. It was a lot of fun. Everybody, everybody at the studio was having a pretty good time, I think. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, of course, Dragon Ball GT, there were two dubs of it. There was mm-hmm. the Blue Water dub being produced in Calgary and the one being produced in Texas. Um, did knowledge of that other dub ever factor into the way that this one was being handled? Or was it just sort of off in its own universe and no one really really cared about that yeah no um just this last summer i got a chance to go down to to texas and chat with some of the funimation guys and mm-hmm. um they do some they do really good work uh but they're they're two kind of different systems um north and and south and i think we try not to to cross contaminate too much of course of course it informs a little bit but for instance i'd never I'd never seen any of the Dragon Ball GT um, that they were making. I don't even know if they they made it first or after us. I just never it saw it. Pretty much simultaneous, I think. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you if I think a lot of people probably just watched Dragon Ball GT, whatever was airing on TV for them. And for people in Canada, it was the it was your version, the Calgary version. Hmm. Yeah. I, I yeah. I certainly never went to any effort to seek out the Texas dub of, of Dragon Ball GT. I don't. I wouldn't see the the point in that, but uh, but yeah, your your version is the version for 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 north of the border, which you know usually that doesn't happen with most anime. And in Dragon Ball, there's always this weird dichotomy where there's there's the Canadian version and the the U.S. version, or there's always two dubs. I think with Dragon Ball Super right now, there's a a Texas dub and an L.A. dub. No no can no Canada option in that case. Yeah yeah yeah. I you know it's for me it's always really interesting to see um especially when i go to conventions and stuff how how influenced people are by by the dub so for me i i like watching um dubs i like watching subs usually i watch more subs but often that's just because i'm i'm watching them before i'm acting them right so i'm trying to to see what the the story is and where it goes and and how the the Japanese actors are doing things i try not to to be boxed in by that but but i still like to watch that and i i often think oh wow i'm surprised at at how much um 
how how much influence the dub has. And you know, this is this is one of the things I was talking with a guy uh, Charles Dunbar at a, a convention not oh, too yeah. long ago, and we did a um, we did a panel together called Sub versus Dub. And one of the things that that he said that I thought was really telling is that the the importance of dubs is for for kids. For, well, not just for kids, but for people who are just being introduced to anime. So, for instance, you're you're not going to have a, a TV television or sorry, a, a Canadian television station say, oh, we're going to put a, a, a sub on here. It has to be a dub, right? Mm-hmm. And kids who are just being introduced to this stuff, they're not going to want to read it. So, so more and more, I'm I'm seeing the stuff that I've done, like say with with Zoids or or uh, uh, Dragon Ball GT, or now it's interesting because now um, Gundam Seed Destiny, there are people who grew up and this this was really influential in their lives because they were able to be exposed to it before they were capable of, of say, watching a, a subtitled um, cartoon. Yeah, well, I mean, du- dub- dubs represent the point of cultural impact for anime, yeah. at, least, uh, at least in, you know, most English-speaking countries. So, yeah, it's uh, the, the type of dub you hear or uh, the, the voices you hear on those characters can play a pretty big or have play a pretty big role in your sort of uh conception of an anime or your conception as an anime fan sure yeah so what while you were in calgary i think another big role you had was in zeta gundam as amuro ray uh so that one was interesting because zeta gundam's a sequel to the original mobile suit gundam and amuro yeah. ray was of course the main character in mobile suit yeah. Gundam when he was played by brad swale um yeah. so how so i know you said that you you would watch the you know watch some of the show in japanese prepare for the role and get a sense of the the character of it uh obviously Zedigun is a bit of a different situation how did you approach uh Amro Ray in that one and what was the production like on on Zeta Gundam well that was pretty interesting it was a, a voice match and I don't know it was pretty early in my career so I don't know if I did a super good job on on matching Brad but they did actually I went through and I watched a lot of his his um portrayal of Amaro. I listened to it. We listened to it quite often. I'd listen to it right before starting a day because while I was doing Zeta Gundam, I was doing a, um, at least one other series. It might have been Better Man. I can't remember. Uh, but while that was going on, I was trying to, to kind of keep his portrayal in my mind. This is an interesting story because I loved, um, I loved the Gundam series. And uh, when I... Uh, I was working on on that. Eventually, I moved out to to Vancouver, and I was at a convention, and then in the studio, and and I got to meet Brad Swale for the first time. I was just I was totally geeking out. I was fanboying. I don't think he knew it at the time, but for for me, that was a pretty cool thing seeing Brad there and meeting like Sam Vincent and yeah, all I mean, of the Brad in particular. He's he's the guy who is in. Who was in every Gundam series, basically? Yeah, it was dubbed in Vancouver. Yeah, and it it became pretty fun because oh, occasionally we'd get to go and and do these conventions. And I remember there was a a Gundam build off uh, competition that uh, they would have him and and me. We'd build our our Gundams and you know paint and and do battle damage and all of that sort of stuff. And and they'd be judged at the end. 
so that sort of stuff was really fun. Even even for a little while, we were thinking of uh, starting a band together. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I I know he's done a he's he's had a few of those. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he's great. Uh, I don't. I only play the banjo, which is is terrifying. <laughs> and so I ended up being stuck singing. And uh, um, Brian Dobson was playing guitar. <laughs> Which which incarnation of, of Brad's bands was this? What was, what was the name of the band? Did you have a name, or was it just kind of kind of jamming? Uh, I can't remember. We were just <laughs> jamming at the time. It was really it was Brian Dobson's brainchild, uh, mm. and he wanted. Uh, I think it's still a great idea. He wanted all all these voice actors to get together and do like uh, an anime cover band. Yeah, I Brad and some of the other voice actors I've I've heard were. We're doing a bit of that back uh, back in the day. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, <laughs> back to your original question. It was um, I was always trying to keep his his voice in my mind, and I was trying to um, trying to to portray him as best I could, but uh, um, while at the same time trying to to figure out what the story actually needed. Did you Did you watch the original Gundam? Like the whole? Oh yeah. Thing? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, so and so, I, I assume you've watched. Uh, you see, you do seem well, fairly well versed in in Gundam. What uh, I, I don't know how long it's been. What, what, what how do you feel about about Zeta Gundam in general compared to the the original? Do you have any thoughts on that? You know, I think the original holds a bigger place in my heart, <laughs> just because just because it's it's kind of the classic story, and I think it shows in in a lot of the the future Gundam series too. Like even even uh, Gundam Seed Destiny, you have this boy who somehow tragic things happen to and he's forced into a situation where he has to fight or die right this is this is kind of a um a classic or archetypal archetypical tale and uh, i i think that was really strong in the the first the first gundam and it was really the first time i'd seen it so um for me it's it holds a a kind of magical spot, and I I have the you know the a couple of the the scale models that I keep around, um, and the original Gundam is one of them. I know with the dub for the original Gundam, uh, uh, Sunrise Studio, specifically the creator of Gundam Yoshiki Tomino was heavily involved, but I I've 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 gotten the impression that that wasn't really the case with Zeta Gundam. Uh, they, they're not quite as protective of that one <laughs> compared to the original. <laughs> so we're, we're, I guess the Japanese side was, was pretty hands-off with the, the Zeta Gundam dub. I, I can't really remember. Yeah. I can't really remember. Uh, but you know what? Those guys, even for, for Gundam Seed Destiny, uh, a lot of the time, the Japanese studios, they are, they're very hands-off. They're not really, um, it's not that they're not interested. I think they just kind of trust the way things are, are going. Um, there are very few studios that I've worked for that are are really hands-on, need lots of retakes, want to see um, an artistic direction from a character different from where the director and the actor want to take that. But usually those are, are American studios like uh, Disney and stuff like that. So you mentioned that when you played Amaro, you were doing a voice match. Was that a common thing uh, that you... that? the the actors in uh in Calgary were doing because I know a lot of projects would be set to be recorded in Vancouver uh but then would be moved to Calgary after a certain point. Yeah, yeah, I I 
this was the first one that I'd ever done, but definitely, I think Calgary was definitely the B team, you know, uh, or the farm team. And, uh, when things got really busy in, in Vancouver, uh, they would, they would farm that out to them, uh, or to us. But usually it would be more like series that people didn't, uh, weren't such big hits. Um, so things like, um, Better Man or like that Ayashi Noceris or, mm-hmm. or, um, uh, Zoids. I think when, when Hasbro first, uh, approached for Zoids, people didn't know that it was going to be such a, a big, uh, cartoon release in the United States. And, um, and so it ended up coming out to, to Calgary instead. And we got, we kind of got lucky for that one. But, uh, sorry, to answer your question, no, we, uh, there wasn't a whole lot of voice matching. Um, probably one in, one in ten, and that was the very first one that I'd worked on. So, so you weren't doing a voice match for, uh, the, for, for Trunks at all when you did Dragon Ball GT? So Not at all. Kind of, yeah. No, yeah. they were like, Trunks is a, a different, mm. you know, I, I heard and I was actually interested. I was like, okay, so am I, uh, and my future trunks from uh, Dragon Ball Z, and which one, the the Canadian or the American? And they were, they said, no, nope, no, nope, this is a, a different thing. Trunks is, he, he's not future trunks. He's he's like dad trunks, pretty much. Yeah, it's best not to think about that too hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, so you at at a certain point, um, I guess some somewhere around the mid two thousands, you moved from Calgary to to Vancouver. Um, mm-hmm. and you were doing initially doing studio doing work at the Blue Water Studios in Calgary, and then most of your work after that was at the um, the Ocean Studios or Westwood Studios or whatever you call it in in Vancouver. Um, what what sort of prompted you to to make that jump? Well, I. So I I'd, I'd finished my um my applied degree in in Alberta and uh then I moved out to Vancouver. Well, I don't know, mostly because I I thought Vancouver was beautiful. I knew I could get work in Vancouver. And um at the time, boy, at the time I remember moving to Vancouver and and getting a nice um, one bedroom apartment and spending about $600 a month and uh, oh, thinking, geez, wow, wow, this is super expensive. <laughs> and, but you know, I'm oh, right man, downtown. That's... I can see the water. <laughs> one, one bedroom apartment for $600 in Vancouver. Wow. It's yeah, so I know. Outrageous. I know it doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> yeah. But that was about in, in 2003 and I thought I was living the life. Did, did you, was moving from, you know, one, one area of work to the other? Was it, was it like, you know, moving to the big time compared to, to doing work in Calgary? Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> I, I thought, uh, you know, I, I thought that Vancouver was the, the be all and end all. And I, it was, a, I came out here to visit and, and, you know, it was like going to the Bahamas. It was really nice. Um, so I, I loved coming out here and I thought, well, when, when I can, I'm just going to move out there. I, I had a lot of contacts. Some of the, um, the casting, uh, people that I knew from, from Calgary, they were in Vancouver as well. And, and some of the directors did a little bit of back and forth. And so I was able to, to kind of use those ties to, to get a little bit of work and did some incidental work. And then really the big one that I got, um, or the first 
big one that I got in Vancouver was Gundam Seed Destiny. And ha- um, and just before we get into Gundam Seed Destiny, what what was your experience like working working in the studios and with the with the staff in Vancouver versus in in Calgary? Because there's a you know there's a lot of differences like there you know one's union, one's non-union. Um, you have a whole different um, set of people you're, you're working with on both sides. Um, like how how did you how do you find the the experiences compared? Yeah, so like you said, uh, the the Calgary shop there that's non-union, or it it had a union, but it was its own its own separate thing. It wasn't oh, Actra okay. or, or UBCP. Yeah. Right. Um, and then then moving out here, that that was a big difference uh having to to have an agent say and uh, having to to look at being in the union and and all of that that was different but in terms of the the studio itself it was pretty similar it you know i i've i've worked on film sets and there's a in my opinion a big difference between union and non-union film sets but the thing about animation and especially you know cartoon dubbing is that Usually, I, I think Chinook out there, they were really professional, and usually, uh, it's pretty laid back. So, I remember going in and, and relaxing in a green, green room and, um, meeting Lee Tokar for the first time. Oh wow, this guy has done so many things that I, I love, but at the same time, he was just there for an audition, right? And, and, you sit down and you have tea and um, a studio is kind of a studio. And and I love voice actors because voice actors are not stars. They're just, they're people. And, um, and that, I think, was something that didn't change going from one place to another. I've, it, in fact, even when I've, I've been down and done conventions in the United States and stuff, um, occasionally you'll go to... to fan expo type conventions and you'll see you'll you'll meet um some real big like movie stars or or that sort of thing and occasionally they'll be you know a bit starish you know a bit diva-ish but voice actors i've never met a voice actor who is who let their ego take over you know most of the time voice actors are just voice actors or or rather voice actors are just people they're usually voice actors, and then on top of other uh, other things and other jobs yeah, they have as well. Yeah, that's right. Um, not lo- not like in Japan where there's a whole, you know. Uh, I know, I know what pro- you're pro- saying. Yeah, a, 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 whole, uh, <laughs> a whole a whole industry around selling person uh, voice actors as personalities. I know. Um, yeah, and yeah. I, I sometimes like when uh, when I was down in in Texas uh, at that convention, there was um, the official Kauai ambassadors from Japan that that showed up as well. Oh my god, they and actually they actually called them. <laughs> I know, yeah, yeah, and they, boy, were they ever Kauai! Yeah. Um, but uh, there was a, 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 a sizable contingent from from Japan that came over to um, to help with the the convention, and and boy. It, you get treated more like a superstar from from these people than than anybody in North America. Most of the time, when people like if I'm if I'm at a convention, a lot of the time I'll end up wearing a suit and, and like a bow tie, so people can even just know that I'm uh, I'm a guest, right? Because nobody knows 
what Matthew Erickson looks like. So I kind of have to... wearing a suit. He must be important. That's <laughs> right. That's right. And they're like, can I get an autograph? Oh, oh, here's the guy, the picture of the guy wearing a suit. Okay, yeah, so you yeah. must be Matthew Erickson. Oh, I like that cartoon. Yeah. <laughs> so most of the time, people are just really laid back, and, and fans are great, um, and you can sit down and have a coffee... Or if they're a little older, you can have a beer with some fans and, and chat afterwards, and, and it's pretty fun. I've got no problems with that. So, yeah, your your first big role was Shinasuka in, in Gundam Seed Destiny, and you, I as with Zeta, I assume that you had seen the original Gundam Seed. Um, no. Before, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. So I had seen, okay. I'd seen Gundam Seed, but I, this was one, <laughs> oh, Jesse, this was one that I'd, so I'd seen Gundam Seed, um, but I hadn't, I hadn't gone through the whole series. I had seen nothing of Gundam Seed Destiny before I, I started on the first episode. And boy, I remember James, who was the director, being like, okay, so, uh, we got first episode here. Let's, let's just, uh, give it a, a once through. We'll try to, to go, um, run it through once and I'm looking at the script and I'm like, okay, so what does this mean here? Sees, sees sister's phone, sees sister's hand and, uh, all of this stuff. And it was like, it was such a big shock for me to yeah, go through that first episode and be like, oh my goodness. So wait, there's his sister's severed arm over there. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. His parents have just died. Okay. He's screaming to the, to the sky. Oh, okay. Yeah. This will be fun. <laughs> but they I had, they, they certainly go straight for the visceral impact. In, yeah. In I, I had there. no idea going into it that, um, that that's, that's what that would be like at the beginning. Of course, it's a, it's a Gundam series. So you kind of get a little bit of that. Um, but this was, it, it was a big surprise for me. Also, that role had uh, it had a, a specific impact for me too, because at that, as I was in that role, I had just lost a family member too, oh, and so I was like, at, at one point, uh, <laughs> oh man, I don't want to give. Oh well, it's an old series, so like, don't there's spoilers. So, yeah, yeah. so Spoiler after warning the, for Gundam Seed. Definitely. Yeah, after, <laughs> after the whole like Stella, you know portion of the the series uh, and there's one point where james is like okay this is gold let's keep going let's keep going i'm like i'm in the booth and i'm uh you know there are tears streaming down my face and i'm like uh, i'm shouting and screaming and doing all of this stuff and then he's like yeah this is good let's keep rolling and then uh, at one point i'm supposed to scream out stella and and uh and i scream out the name of this other person oh. <laughs> And and the whole oh, you know the engineers and and James they're they're all just like quiet and they're like okay let's uh, let's take a break and we'll uh, oh. we'll go get you some tea and uh, let's talk a little bit out there <laughs> so yeah so with with Shin uh, in Gundam Seed Destiny so there he, he he's a bit of a he has become a bit of a notorious character he was supposed to be the main character in Gundam mm-hmm. Seed but then you know there was behind the scenes turmoil when the show is being made and things, sure. he kind of slips out of that role. He sort of, he almost sort of becomes the villain in the end. Where yeah. Yeah. You could almost look at him that way, which I like, I don't think it was intended. Apparently there was like these popularity polls that just encourage them to, 
to try just to try to push the tank old characters him. into the yeah tank him yeah, and put yeah. the, the old characters into the forefront. Uh, how did that affect your approach to to Shin? Did you feel like he was being sidelined, or how, I mean, how, how did how did this affect the way that you approach the character? Sure, you know, um, most of the time, I my only goal is is to kind of serve the story. Mm-hmm. There are times when I I could definitely see that's that's what ha- was happening, but so much of that is out of my control. So at, in the end, I just Gundam Seed Destiny was out of all of our control. Uh, yeah. So yeah. in the end, I'm just like, well, okay. Um, <laughs> the story says this. The line says this. Can I try to motivate this? Can I? Uh, would this be something that I that I would do naturally? M- maybe not. But this is what the character does. So I have to find a way. What sort of circumstance would I, would I do this? And then you just, you kind of roll with it. Yeah. I could, I could sense that a little bit and I knew a little bit of the, the political si- situation behind, um, in Japan. But at the same time, I thought, well, you know what? Things are, things are different in here in North America. We'll just, we'll put this thing out and I'll, I'll do, <laughs> do what yeah. I can. You, you, you kind of have to, I guess, find the what lies beneath the actual framing and execution when approaching the character sometimes, I guess. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You have to try to make it work work for you. That's kind of all you can do. Yeah. And with uh, with, with Destiny, were, were you working on that before the series had completed in Japan? I actually can't quite remember the timeline. I don't know. Hmm. Destiny was really strange for me because I was, I was busy at the same time. Hmm. Um, I'd started... I'd started going to school um, for another degree in engineering. And so I, I was pretty busy on that. And I was just focusing on my school and focusing on, on destiny itself, um, doing, doing the, the role for that. But I wasn't watching any of the, the OJ, the original Japanese. Mm-hmm. So for me, I was a little bit out of the loop and really even understanding the, um, the conflict that was going on and, um, in terms of like uh, what, uh, where characters were going and and the creators in Japan, most of that information came to me not from my own research, but uh, from the directors and and whatnot from the studio. So, so I was I was kind of outside. I I wasn't um, I wasn't really watching what was going on in, in Japan. So having absorbed, so seed in general is. You know, considered kind of a a remake, or Seed and Seed Destiny are kind of are kind of a remake or reimagining of the original Gundam and then Zeta Gundam, as well. Mm-hmm. Obviously, lots of parallels between Zeta Gundam and, and Gundam Seed Destiny, and then the original sure. and then the original Seed. Um, I mean, how how do you think they compare, or how do you think from what from what you kind of remember? Uh, how, how do you think Seed or Destiny stack up as sort of a reimagining, especially looking back on it, like? 15 years later. Um, I loved the original Gundam series. Um, but when I went back and, and watched it after, after doing Destiny, I realized how dated some of the, the animation was. And, and for another thing, Seed and Seed Destiny, they, they deal with a lot darker themes. Um, a bit more mature theme, so I, I think more, more modern at the time as well. Yeah, I yeah. I think really you're right in saying it, it, it was a, a reimagining, but there are there are some significant differences. Um, I think uh, for that contemporary audience, 
it was probably nice to see big robots in space fighting that the animation was nice. Mm-hmm. Um, it also, you know, a lot more of the, the war is hell type, type themes going on and, and seeing, seeing more, um, contemporary problems. And, uh, so I, I think that was, that was probably valuable, but in terms of story, I think they're both kind of classic stories, right? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I don't there's know. There's no easy answer. It's, yeah. a lot, I think there's a lot, uh, a lot of ups and downs to both for sure. Um, uh, so in terms of where seed and seed destiny are now, I'm not sure if you've heard this news, but those, have you heard that the, that those shows are being redubbed? Yeah. Right yeah. Now? And yeah. Cause, um, so if you're just for those who are not familiar, Gundam seed, uh, it was remastered in Japan. Um, but the thing about this remaster is that it incorporates new footage that hadn't been dubbed before. There's some ti- timing recuts. There's just some new lines that were put in, um, which effectively renders the old Vancouver dubs for Seed and Seed Destiny unusable. Um, and basically, they have to redub the whole thing. Uh, and, you know, okay, here's my, my complaint. Despite the fact that they could have sent this project to Vancouver, they chose to send it to L.A. and recast everybody. Um, so we don't know who Shin's new voice actor is yet. Um, also, not just with Sea Destiny, also, uh, I don't know if you've been following the Gundam Origin, uh, OVAs that have been coming out, um, which are, you know, a prequel to the original Mobile Suit Gundam. Um, but they were dubbed in LA as well, and towards the latter end of those, those OVAs, we start seeing the characters who appear in the original Gundam, including... Amaro, and they are all recast with uh, with L.A. actors. Lucian Dodge is the new voice actor of, of Amaro Ray, and um, presumably for all future projects that character appears in, he's probably going to be the voice now. Um, so, uh, you know, as a as a fan, I feel that this is outrageous, um, especially since I, you know, they, they probably could have sent these projects to to Vancouver. I mean, I, I guess this kind of comes down to kind of what we were talking about before about how English dubs can sort of play a role in cultural impact or the legacy of a, of a show. Uh, and, and another thing to point out is that the original, that, you know, so, sometimes when shows get redubbed, like with Escaflone, they still release the original version. Um, mm-hmm. This upcoming release of Gundam Seed is very likely not going to have the original version because it can't be synced to the new footage. Um, so just in terms of like maintaining access or legacy to old dubs, uh, I mean, what, what do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, it, um, if you want to ask me about how I feel about things going to, to LA, you know, that's, that's okay. That, that, mm. that happens. And, um, I, you see this happening all yeah. the time. From, from my point of view, it's sort of like, um, a reboot of, of a Marvel, um, series, right? It, it, it just happens. And, and there's going to be somebody else doing the voice and, um, and that's fine. I, to me, I, I think, yeah, we could have done that, but, uh, it doesn't have to be that way. And, and chances are, actually, I'm going to watch the, uh, the LA dubs for this. I'll, I'll still be a fan for it. And the nice thing is I get to be the first guy, right? So this is one thing I've noticed is when I go out to conventions, people, it's that first, um, the first person to, to lay down the track. The, the, that's what the kids who, who are watching it, the, those are the ones that, that they remember. And I get to be that guy, right? 
Mm-hmm. I get to be the old school guy when when people are like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, no, you heard that one, but did you hear the first one? Like, I remember when this came out 10 years before, and uh, and it was voiced by these guys. Then I get to be that guy, and I'm okay with that. So as long as, you know, that... that that um authentic impact and 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 memory building still exists you think that is sort of the most important part yeah yeah you know there (laughs) i guess so i i really you know jesse i'm just happy to um to be a part of Mm -hmm. of this in general and and so when when stuff goes goes to la i'll be interested to watch it I'm glad that I got to be a part of it in terms of maintaining access to the originals. Boy, um, I've got a bunch that are, are on Blu-ray disc and and I know they're not, you know, they're, they're not going to go anywhere. Yeah. I mean, tech, you mean the dubs are never really going to disappear. They're just going to, they will no longer be in circulation, but you know, if you want them, you can get them. Um, yeah, that's like Zoids. I don't know if, I, uh, I got a bunch of Zoids, and I got some Zoids toys from Hasbro when they first came out. They sent me some a bunch of stuff, and and I was looking online now, and you can still you can still get the the series, but it's super expensive. I, I wanted to get uh, a copy of the whole Zoid series and a copy of the whole of the whole um, uh, Banner of the Stars, Crest of the Stars series to send to some friends and. And Banner of the Stars, Crest of the Stars, that was easy to find. You get that, it's like, uh, I think, 40 bucks for the series. Zoids, you're looking at hundreds of, uh, like, <laughs> half a thousand dollars, the 500 bucks for, for the series of Zoids. But you can still get it, and you can still find it um, illegitimately out there. So I don't think, I don't think uh, the original copies are going to disappear entirely. People will still find it and, and have access to it. My my view on the whole Seed Destiny thing, the, the thing is that because Seed was a like it kind of flopped on US TV, mm-hmm. I almost feel like the that Sunrise and the Japanese side don't really care about what anybody how anybody feels about the dub because you know it it, it flopped on US TV, so in the US people just sort of you know they they watch the fan subs, they they bought the DVDs and probably just watch the Japanese track, um, so they I mean they don't. From their perspective, it's like, oh, then, you know, you can redub this and no one's really going to care. It's, it, I almost feel like they're overlooking the fact that it was a hit in Canada and, like, most importantly, kids watched Seed and Destiny on YTV. That's, and that's kind of where a major impact happened here that didn't happen in the U.S. And, you know, it just bugs me that they, they, they seem, they don't seem to care about that <laughs> anymore. They, they kind of overlook the Canadian audience and that. So, that, so that, you tell me, Jesse, what, uh, what was, what was the big impact in Canada for, for seed and seed destiny. Well, the you you gotta because the the thing is that when I don't know if you caught yeah I know you mentioned you don't generally watch the shows when they air on TV when seed aired on YTV it was during the launch of their Bionics block because mm. um, you know Inuyasha was a was a big hit uh, mm-hmm. it you know it was it wasn't more popular in Canada than it was in the U S but in Canada it was like the number one Google Google popular query in mm. uh, two thousand four uh, which is like signifies a significant impact and so i mean ytv latched onto that they launched the block seed was one of the first shows on it and it was it was sort of uh it it kind of reached a mainstream audience in a way that gundam wing hadn't uh they had kind of 
you know, Gu- Gundam Wing didn't really reach its full potential up here because it wasn't scheduled very well. With mm-hmm. Seed, they were a little more focused. They ske- they gave it a a, pro- a good, accessible, regular time slot. Um, it wasn't, you know, it was edited a little bit, but it wasn't edited too badly. And, you know, people, it, it people responded to it and they ran the show like four or five times. Um, it really? Was never, yeah, it was like mm. between 2004 and 2007. It was never really off the air. If it was off the air, it wasn't for very long. They ran it on weekdays. Uh, they gave it multiple runs on, on like Friday and Saturday nights. It was, you know, it was kind of inescapable for a while. So, mm. uh, versus the, you know, of course I gotta compare it to the US, but versus the US where they ran half the show on Saturday nights and then it got shoved away to a 1.30 in the morning death slot. <laughs> right. So, and then Destiny never aired. So, C definitely had a, a place in the, uh, Canadian cultural eye that, uh, that it did not in the US, uh, or most other English speaking countries for that matter. So, mm. That's kind of where the significance lies, and you know when you're when you go and redub the show, you kind of it's like it, it seems like they kind of don't care about that, and hmm. that just kind of that just kind of gets on my nerves as a as I guess as a fan, <laughs> but <laughs> that's just my take on it. Hey, well, you can be um, you can be like the ultra cultured uh, guy that uh, can say, well, yeah, yeah, that's it's it's okay, but it's not as good as the original. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just uh, you can hear me talk about that all the time. Come to my panels at anime conventions. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I guess we'll talk about one other project you worked on, Anana. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Was, that was one of the one of the better. Do- it, that was coming out of a of a time period when I feel the uh, Vancouver Studios were putting out really high quality work, like with like with Black Lagoon and and other projects. And yeah. Anana was sort of part of that um, part yeah. of that family of projects. Can you can you talk about working on that show a little bit? I love that show. I yeah, it was a lot of fun. I liked um the so when when something is is written uh and then translated and then it comes into English you you need you don't just need a translator you need another writer to um to turn that back into into good English into a good story that not only um seems plausible in terms of linguistically like the way people speak it has to seem real but at the same time these guys are are also trying to to deal with uh, at ocean they they call it the word fit fit system and i think every studio has their own proprietary system where they're trying to to deal with the mouth flaps right so um you've got this this translation and then you've got to turn that into realistic dialogue while following this this um word match system and for Nana, I think it was a great story, but I think one of the the best things or one of the the biggest parts of kind of the heyday of of Ocean Studios was the writing. I think those writers were really good. Nana had a had a good writer, a um British guy named Ian Farthing. Mm-hmm. And he I think he did a a bang up job of that. And I, I remember reading the script like flipping through the scripts and, and thinking, yeah, this is, this is a compelling story. It's interesting. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a, a rock star soap opera, but it is, it's pretty interesting. Um, and, uh, I think a lot of that had to do with, well, it was a good story. The animation is interesting. It's definitely not your, your standard anime, uh, in terms of the animation style. Um, 
and and it's a rare, the writing is good. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a rare, fairly higher budget shojo series coming out of I think Madhouse at the time. You didn't at a time when you weren't even really seeing much shojo as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I I really like that series. I still have. I've got a little poster and a, a bookmark from from working on that series, and I, I keep that in my office all the time. It, and I'm glad to see it. I don't know if it still is, but it was out on, on Netflix and I remember going through the, the series on Netflix. So you can watch it on Netflix now. I think. It's, it's, it's not there anymore. Oh, okay. But it, it was there for quite a while. I'm sure, uh, I, I actually don't know if it's even in print right now, but I'm sure, not as a series, I'm sure we're going to see back again. And I think the, the chances of that one being redubbed are pretty low too. So that's mm. good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You might not be able to answer this next question, but uh, as I'm sure you are at least aware, uh, so with Dragon Ball Z Kai, there was a dub that was produced in Texas, but there was also a dub that was produced in Vancouver um, about seven or eight years ago uh, mm-hmm. that is currently sitting in a vault. Um, were you involved in that project at all? No, I wasn't. Mm. I wanted to be, but I wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> so I can I can answer your questions uh Perfectly honestly on that, because I was not involved. No. Okay, well, hopefully we'll we'll learn more about that as as time goes on. Um, it's a it's a big mystery, really, why that why that even exists and why no one will release it. Uh, I... Time time will tell that story, I'm sure. Um, so most of your work has been dubbing, but you've you've done a little bit of prelay. Uh, I know that most voice actors say they they prefer doing prelay because they can sort of improvise or let loose a little more. Um, what what is what have your experiences with prelay been like? Okay, yeah, yeah, I, I did a series, um, probably the one most people know is, uh, I did a series that was like one season long for, uh, Disney, uh, Sabrina, um, Memoirs of a Teenage Witch, and, mm-hmm. uh, in terms of prelay, you know, it's, it's easier. I, so, so I feel like, yeah, you get a little bit more artistic yeah. license, because yeah. you can kind you of you don't have to wrestle with word fit in that case. Uh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. You, you just you're in a room. You got a, everybody around you. You you act, and the other person is acting with you. And um, I I think a lot of people like it, and I can understand why. Yeah, you get paid more for it too, because I I think the way it's categorized is you're more part of the um, the artistic creation of the character. Than uh, when you're just dubbing something, but really, I don't think it's as challenging. <laughs> um, it's it's kind of easy. You sit in a in a chair and you don't even memorize your lines. You're everybody's all around you. Uh, you they say their line, you say your line, um, and that's kind of it. It's whereas with um, with dubbing something or doing uh, doing the ADR, you, yeah, you really have to be focused. You have to be on your game and you have to be thinking about a hundred different things at once. You can't always just read off the page. You have to like spot memorize stuff because a lot of the time you have to be watching the screen trying to match, um, trying to match the, the flaps, the mouth flaps. So it's, I think it's a lot more intense and I, you know, I understand why a lot of people love prelay. And prelay's fun. Like doing cartoons is fun anyway. But I actually, I've got no problems doing ADR, and I I love doing ADR because I find it more challenging. 
And it's it, most of the ADR is anime, and I love anime. I've never done a prelay anime before, so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are two different two different worlds in a in a way. So uh, just go, kind of going back to the word fit system, uh, I know there this there was a lot of talk. I know with back in like the late nineties, early two thousands, the word fit sort of I guess had a feature where it kind of adjusted the dialogue sometimes to fit the mouth flaps. Um, if I if I'm understanding that correctly, uh, has has that system? Do, do you know if it's still used in Vancouver? If they've or if it's kind of evolved? Um, uh, I don't know. That's part of the whole technical black box mm-hmm. that I'm I'm not a part of at all. I I know that um, that that's one of the big selling features of of going through Ocean is that they use this word fit system, and I think it's kind of proprietary to to the family of studios that Ocean's a part of. Mm, yeah. um, but I don't know how that works. It's like the, you know, the secret sauce. Fair enough. <laughs> it's, it's, it's more interesting if it's kept that way. Perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Are, are, so, you know, we've talked about a lot of projects that are being redubbed. Um, there are some new projects that seem to be coming to Vancouver now, but not still not a whole lot. Uh, do you think there's still, you know, hope for new, new, new stuff coming in? Um, or is it, you know, is it, has it really died down a lot in the last few years? You find? Sure. Well, you know, the Canadian dollar's pretty weak and that's, that's good for things. They're, they're yeah. interesting shows. Some shows where I'm like, wow, I didn't know how this would translate, uh, to an English audience. Like Gintama. I don't know if you've been watching the, the. I did. Yeah. I watched a, a little bit of that on Crunchyroll. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's, that's being done here in Vancouver. Um, and, uh, that, yeah. So. There isn't a month that goes by where I don't see something in my inbox about a new series coming to uh, to Vancouver or, or go and do an audition for for something. So it still happens. I think um, one of the the big differences might be that more people, myself included, they're getting their their own home studios and and that kind of decentralizes the the necessity for a big studio in some ways. I don't think the pr- production quality is, is quite as good that way as, as going into a studio, but I do know some, some places that are like, well, we, we can just do this, have, have so and so, uh, do the job at home and, and send it in to us and, and we'll be okay. So I think that's, that's one thing. Also, um, lots of new net, Netflix work is coming into town. Yeah, that's true. Is so, there, yeah, without, you know, I, I know you can't, uh, due to NDAs and stuff, you can't necessarily specify everything, but are you working on any, any projects right now? Sure, yeah, yeah. I'm, I think it's okay to talk about uh, doing Beyblade right now. That one, right, that yeah. one has been going on for, for a long time. I think this is, I want to say forever, but I think actually the one we're working on is a, is a, reboot or a different series from the original Beyblade. Um, so that one I know I can talk about. Um, Gintama, I, I, I've been doing, did some work on that one. Um, I think that's pretty much all I can talk about now. I'm not super, I'm not like one of the guys that is, is in a studio five days a week, mm-hmm. but yeah, I'm, I'm getting enough, enough work to, to still say, Oh, I'm still an actor. Right. Yeah. And you mentioned a lot of people working from home studios. I know a lot has changed in terms of how voice acting is, is 
orchestrated a lot over the last decade or so. And one big change, and I know this is apparently what's going on with Beyblade, is that a lot of the cast is from Vancouver and a lot is from Calgary. Um, before we were, you know, we always felt that those two uh, factions of Ocean were like different worlds, but it seems that more and more they are co-mingling and they're taking their casting shows and having actors uh, in both cities. I know that was the case with Keys Niver, um, mm-hmm. it's the case with uh, with Beyblade and a few others. Uh, yeah, how how have you? I mean, does this mean everyone's like just more disconnected? Um, do you have any any thoughts on just how how that change has affected the way um, production is is handled now? Uh, ADR is disconnected anyway, right? You're mm-hmm. it's like you're you're talking into into a phone where the other person can't hear you, or or you can't hear what they're replying to and you just read off the page what you think they're going to say, right? So it, usually when you're doing ADR, you're stuck in a booth, you're by yourself. The the big disconnect can be um, the directing and the um, the sound engineering. Uh, I think if if you're switching that up too much, then then you can get a series that feels disconnected. But I think now um, the ocean, blue water, uh, Chinook, these places do have enough crossover in terms of the technical side. The the studios are very comparable. I've been in both studios. They're both very good. It's not like the Calgary studio is garbage. It's it's great, and their technicians are are well trained and and very good. Um, and the it, I imagine a lot of the time the directors are the same directors. So that I think can work pretty well. The big continuity has to, to come from, uh, I think, from the director, and the director has to, to decide. Well, this is this is where this episode is going, and th- these are the feelings that I want, and and to remind you as an actor where you were coming from, <laughs> the last scene or the last episode. Mm-hmm. So yeah, as I- long as as long as that that maintains continuity, I think I think this show will be okay. It's it's nice to see this kind of cooperation happening uh, between the two sides, especially when we're seeing such a unfortunate rift growing between BC and Alberta these days. That's uh, I see it as kind of a, a ray of positivity. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, outside of voice acting, uh, are there any other projects that you're that you that you've been working on lately? Uh, you mean acting projects or or what? Cause acting I... projects or any anything else creative? Ah. Uh, Jesse, you know, I, I've got so many things on the go right now. Um, so w- one of the things I found being a voice actor was that, yeah, it's, it's really, it's really quite fun and the money's pretty good, but, um, I had a, a little bit of spare time. And so I went back to school and that paid for another degree in engineering. And so now, um, then for a little while, I was trying to get the experience I needed as, as an engineer to get my, my, uh, what's called my PNs or my professional engineering um, certification. And uh, as I was doing that, I, I couldn't get enough experience because I had to kind of work um, part-time as an engineer and then part-time as a, as a, a voice actor. And uh, I ended up in order to get that experience, I ended up joining the army, uh, the reserves for a little while. Oh, and okay. yeah, yeah. So I did that as a combat engineer for, um, uh, it was supposed to be two years, but ended up being almost three years by the time I got out. Um, and then 
now I'm I'm a professional engineer on the side as well as being a voice actor. So I've got I've got that side of of my life as well as you know I'm I'm also a, a husband and a father and uh, um, so there's I've got a lot of things that I, I'm doing on the side in terms of um, in terms of artistically and creatively really the cartoon stuff and the stuff I do just you know kicking around with friends doing music or doing um, doing some voice acting that way that that's pretty much all I get the rest of my time is is spent uh, um, sitting in in front of a computer trying to to figure out how to engineer things for people. That's a pretty interesting range you've got there. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, Matthew, before we uh, we leave off, uh, where can people find you online? You know what? I don't. I, I'm pretty much a non-entity online. But you know what? I do. I have a Facebook profile. You can find me and just be my friend. Like, I'm not... I'm, I'm not... Uh, I don't do it for marketing or, or anything like that, but people just want to uh, to chat or say hi. I do check my Facebook occasionally, so you can just look up Matthew Erickson, look for Vancouver, and um, chances are it'll be the right one. I think right now I got a picture of me giving a, a thumbs up with my uh, my son on there. Yeah, so you find that picture and and you find me, and uh, um, I'll be your friend. All right. Well, uh, thanks a lot for tuning into Zonan Canada. You can reach me on Twitter at jbetteridge or email zonancanada at gmail.com. The theme song is by Ultra Kleistron and can be found on his album Packet Flood, which you can buy at ultrakleistron.com. Please subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play Music, or your podcast app of choice. Also, if you can leave a rating or review, that would be really great. If I can hit five reviews on iTunes, that will actually give me a aggregated review and increase my visibility, and any reviews on top of that will help a lot. If you can do that, I would uh, appreciate it. If you know anyone who might like the show, please recommend it to them. I'll see you again. 